People have many questions about Islam, and so on my Facebook page, I solicited questions that people would like to have answered. And this video is going to be about some of these questions and my answers for them. I can't do them all, there were simply too many questions. So here we go, the first one. How do we deal with those who claim that some hadith are reliable while others are not as authentic? Now a hadith is a short story about called a tradition, or a hadith, uh, about what Muhammad said and did. Now there are different collections of these hadith. What's important is, is that a hadith is the same as scripture. There are 91 verses in the Quran which say that every Muslim is to imitate Muhammad in every way. And how do they know how to imitate Muhammad? Well, the hadith is one of those. Now, the hadith that I use are by Bukhari and Abu Muslim. The reason I use these is that they're the absolute most authoritative. They're completely accepted by everybody except the Shia who don't accept any of it. But since the Sunni comprise 90% of it, that gets the job done. And besides that, the Shia and the Sunni agree on the jihad and what a kafir is. So really, Bukhari works for the kafir, so it works for the Shia as well. What Muslims try to do is to say, if you come up with something uncomfortable, they'll say, well, some of those hadith, they're not that well established. But your reply should be, they come from Bukhari, which is very well established. It is the most authoritative. Therefore, it has to be accepted as true. So that's the answer. Quote Bukhari, and you're always right. Next question. How many Muslims have read the Quran, and how many in the media have read all the Quran? Well, I think in the media, and this is just my feeling, I think we can say that they've read virtually none. However, the most important thing is not reading the Quran. The Quran is a difficult document to interpret. It's confusing, and so what you want to do is to refer to the Sirah, the life of Muhammad, and the Hadith. Now, how many Muslims have read the Sirah? I've never met one who has. Some of them more, it's more advanced for scholars. Really, you will find that if you discuss the doctrine of Islam with Muslims, you will find that they know very little about the doctrine at all. Indeed, they're not encouraged to do an in-depth study of Islam. So what they do is they go to the mosque, they hear what, what the imam says, and that's what they do. This is so true that the way to discourage a Muslim from being a Muslim is to simply quote the Hadith, to quote the Sirah, and to quote the Quran. Uh, I know of a minister, an evangelical, who works in Iraq, and he says his most powerful weapon for converting Muslims to Christianity is not Jesus, but Muhammad. Once he explains to them who Muhammad was and what he did, he asks them the question, is this who you want for your religious leader? So the answer to the question is really very few and certainly not all. How can we educate and address people who've fallen for the religion of peace story? Well, I find the best way to do this is to start with why they think what they think. That is, where do they get this information? Why do they call it religion of peace? Is it a nice Muslim at work? What is it? Do they read the New York Times? What is it? So find out where they get their information. Then establish that their, their source of information is not authoritative. The New York Times, for instance, no matter what it thinks, is not authoritative on the subject of Islam nor is the Muslim at work. The only Muslim who is authoritative is Muhammad. So once you know the Sirah and the Hadith, use that. So that is the way to address the religion of peace. Oh, and one other thing. It's rather nice to know the history of Islam. 
And I did a video called Why We Are Afraid, which will teach you enough about the history of Islam that you can certainly deal with the religion of peace. Not to mention the tears of jihad, which is referred to in this video. 270 million Kafirs have been killed over 1400 years by the religion of peace. What is the best way for non-Muslims, Kafirs, to push back? And I think I've rather covered this in the last question. To push back, you need knowledge. And that knowledge comes from Quran, Sirah, Hadith, Sharia, and history. Now look, you may say, well, I don't know all of that. Let me tell you something. You don't need to know much because the person you're talking to knows nothing. There's a little joke I like that illustrates this story. Two men were out camping and they see a bear coming. One of them puts on his running shoes and as he's lacing them up, his partner says, you can't outrun a bear. And the man says, I don't need to outrun a bear. I just need to outrun you. And the same way, when you're dealing with people about Islam, you don't need to know more than a scholar at Al-Azhar University. You just need to know more than they do. And you already know that. Now here's what seems like a simple question, but it's more complex than that. What is the difference between Islam and a Muslim? Well, the first part of the answer is very simple. A Muslim is a person. Islam is a doctrine. A Muslim follows the doctrine of Islam. But in our society, it works the other way by the apologist. What the apologist says is, I know this Muslim and he said. That is, they try to go from Muslim to Islam. Wrong direction. The only Muslim you need to know about Islam is Muhammad. So even though there's a difference, it's very much confused in our media because people figure, well, I asked these two or three Muslims and they said this, so therefore that's what Islam is. The only Muslim that counts is Muhammad. What is the chain of command or authority that says, what is Sharia? Well, I, this is a very interesting question because Islam is peculiar in the sense that there is no pope and there really is no ruling authority except for, of course, Muhammad and Allah. So, to some degree, a Muslim can kind of make up what they want Islam to be. Now, in the end, there is an Islam, and it is the doctrine found in the Quran, the Sirah, and the Hadith. And the authority is Muhammad and his God, Allah. Oh, what is the difference between Muhammad and the peaceful, moderate Muslims? <laughs> well, the difference is simple. The peaceful, moderate Muslims are simply those who follow Muhammad of Mecca, where Muhammad was a religious leader. He wasn't killing anybody. There was no torturing involved or anything. There was no jihad in Mecca. So what these Muslims do is to practice the early Muhammad, the early Quran. But remember, Islam is dualistic. There's an early Islam and a later Islam. So the good, moderate Muslim just practices the earlier Islam. And the good moderate Muslim, which is our term for it because really he's an incomplete Muslim, he's not really moderate because he doesn't practice all of Islam. Now, Islamic State, ISIS, they practice all of Islam. What are the differences in the beliefs of the Shiites and the Sunnis? Well, really not much. Now, remember, I deal with political Islam. And political means I deal with how Islam affects me and possibly you. I do not deal with the religion, and so therefore the differences between Sunni and Shia on that issue are simply of no merit to me. From our standpoint as a Kafir, there's no difference at all. They're both the same. 
how many Americans here in America, how, how many American Muslims are actually following the Quran? Well, to some degree, I've already answered this question. They follow as much as they want. And to that degree, a Muslim is not much different than, say, a Christian or a Jew. That is, they practice as much of it as they want. And the difficult parts, they just ignore and leave out. One of the odd things about Islam is the ignorance of Muslims. 60% of Muslims worldwide are illiterate, and the Ottoman Empire has had a 3% literacy rate. Well, now, this question was the most interesting question I was asked, I thought, because of the simple reason that I did not know that the illiteracy rate was so high, 97%, in the Ottoman Empire. So I went and looked at the research, and indeed, this is true. Very few members of the Ottoman Empire could read and write. The majority of the members of the Ottoman Empire who could read and write were not Muslim. They were Christians and Jews. Now, isn't this odd? Because we're told that the greatest intellectual empire in the world was the Golden Age in Baghdad, when all oh, the Islamic scholars, they were world beaters. Well, most of those Islamic scholars that were world beaters were simple. They were Arabs who were Christians or Jews. So, and as soon as Islam became ensconced and became more and more powerful, the doctrine of free thought, which is necessary for in creative thought, was crushed. In the end, the philosophy out of the golden age of Baghdad was this. There are no laws of nature, and there is no cause and effect. I'm a scientist. When you have no laws, and when you have no cause and effect, you can't have any creative thought at all. The other reason that there's not a lot of need for literacy in Islam is this. Muslims are not encouraged to study much for themselves. They're supposed to go down to the mosque and listen to what the imam says. And if the Quran is what it says it is, which is the complete knowledge of everything that's needed in this life, what do you need to read and write for anyway? Just practice Islam and everything else is simply superfluous. Could we get together some learned people and make a comparison between the lives of Jesus and Muhammad and the basic teachings of Christianity and Islam? My answer to this question is, stay with Jesus and Muhammad. Here's why. I did a little experiment one time. I write books which are very easy to read and understand. I like to say that I read big, thick books that are hard to understand and write little books that are easy to understand. I did an experiment. I had just done The Life of Muhammad, which is about an 80-page biography of Muhammad. It's the Sirah, greatly condensed. And I hired a 14-year-old teenager to read The Life of Muhammad. I figured if she could read it, anybody could read it. Paid her $20. Well, when she finished reading The Life of Muhammad, I said, I've got one more book for you to read. I want you to read the book of Matthew. Now, this child had never been in church and had never opened up a Bible, so she read the book of Matthew. Then I asked her two questions. I said, okay, if your new next door neighbor had to be Muhammad or Jesus, which one do you want? Well, I want Jesus for my neighbor. Why? And then she proceeded to give me the answer as to why she did not want Muhammad and why she wanted Jesus. This is called critical thought, fact-based reasoning. Look, if a 14-year-old teenager can do this, anybody else can. So instead of dealing with Islam, deal with Muhammad. And instead of dealing with Christianity, deal with Jesus. Then you're dealing with characters, two individuals, which are easy to do. Now here's one in which I don't have a complete answer. Explain why a large percentage of educated Americans choose to stay in the dark about Sharia law and its purpose. 
ignorance and fear. We live in a society today in which all people are equal and all cultures are equal and there's no distinctions to be made. So therefore if you start drawing distinctions between yourself and an ideology such as Islam, why you might be a bigot. People have been told a lot by the media who are trying to make something bad look good. And so therefore the problems with Islam and its activities are greatly suppressed. People don't want to swim against the tide. The tide in the universities, the tide in the media, in the churches and everywhere else is, Islam is way good and so they just simply choose not to challenge that. When I read the Quran, it is clear that Muhammad had taken much from the Torah, the Gospels and Zoroasterism. Well, this isn't really a question, but it's a statement which we need to emphasize. The Quran portrays itself as being the final revelation of all needed to practice the true religion. But when you read the Quran, if you're actually familiar with Torah, familiar with rabbinical studies, if you're familiar with Zoroasterism and the Christian Gospels, you realize, you know, most of this I've already heard before. There's very little new in the Quran except for two things. The first thing that's new in the Quran is Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. The second thing that's new in the Quran is if you don't believe that Muhammad is the prophet of Allah, you can be harmed. Well, everything else is a rehash and not a good rehash either because one of the things, let me take the Torah as an example, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, I think I skipped one because there's five books, uh, is there are great stories in it, but in the Quran the stories are always moved around in such a way that first off they contradict what's in the Torah, but there are also things that are left out. After reading the Quran, one of the conclusions you can reach about Allah is he was not a good storyteller. Where can we get good translations of the Quran and other books on Islam instead of the ones dressed up to look good? Well, Go to, if you Google Hadith, you'll find that the University of Southern California has a complete collection of the Hadith. Those are, those are good. Now, when it comes to Quran, the one that I like is this one by Maldudi. And I, by the way, have a criteria on how to choose Qurans, and that is verse 434. If verse 434 says that a Muslim male can beat his wife, it's probably a good translation. But if they try to fudge the issue, like say lightly beat, now you're dealing with one of those that's been dressed up to look good in public. In my research, I keep seeing implications that Roman Catholics or Catholicism had something to do with the creation of Islam. I've seen these same things, statements, and I don't really buy that. We have to go back and understand that at the time of the rise and power of Islam, there were three bodies of Christianity. There was the Latin Church, Catholics, there was the Greek church, which we would call the Greek Orthodox, and then there were many, many Arab churches. One of the great tragedies of Islam is all of these Arab churches, not all of them, but the great majority of them have been completely destroyed. Now, it actually appears that Islam is a variation on some of the early Arab churches. So the churches that were influential were not the Catholics, but the Arab churches. Well-meaning Muslims like Zudi Jasser claim Islam is the religion of peace. Why don't they know the actual truth in their books? You know, I don't have a real answer for this. Zudi Jasser, and I know people who know him, is a really nice guy. He could almost be described as a sweet guy. But somehow or another, 
He's able in his mind to simply set aside and push aside the evil that is found in the Sirah, the Hadith, and the Quran, and the Sharia. I'm not really sure. He seems like he'd make a good neighbor, but he seems to be deliberately leaving some things out. And I don't know of anybody who's pressed him on this issue. So I can't explain to you except the way he makes Islam look good is to not talk about all of Islam. Because part of Islam can be good. I mean, there's some parts of it that are really quite good, actually. It's just that there's this other part in the Quran of Medina. Do all Muslims and non-Muslims have to obey strict rules during Ramadan? Why do non-Muslims have to obey Ramadan rules? We don't. We just choose to do so because we've become so spineless and we're willing to do anything to make anybody feel good. So we don't have to do anything. There are, the U.S. Army, for instance, has issued orders about, well, we're to respect Ramadan. We don't need to respect any of that at all. Look, if, something, if you're doing something in your religion, I can say that's fine or not fine, but I don't have to lead my life according to it whatsoever at all. This is part of political correctness. Is there any archaeological evidence that corroborates early, para, early Islam as per the Sirah? Out of all the questions asked, this was the one that is, goes the deepest and I'll give you the shortest answer to. No. How Islam came about is a self-myth. It turns out that there is not a single reference in any historical document that is contemporary with Muhammad that even mentions him. Doesn't mention anything about any rise to power of any religion in Arabia. The first time we run across historical evidence of Islam is about 150 to 200 years after the death of Muhammad. The first historical Quran was about 150 years after his death. Now, there are mythical earlier Qurans, but we don't have any historical evidence. The history, archaeology is cruel to Islam, and as a matter of fact, Muslims don't really care for archaeology at all because the first 200 years of Islam are simply nowhere to be found in any history book. One of the documentaries I would like to do and have done some work on for some time is called The Invention of Islam because we do have some real historical facts here, but none of them, none of them agree with what Islam says. We are told that the Quran is the perfect word of God and has no variation and is therefore not corrupt. This is part of the self-myth of Islam. I hate to break it to you, but there is variation in the Quran. We have found historical Qurans that were quite old and they're not quite the same as the Quran we have today. As a matter of fact, the creation of the Quran, its self-myth, is that after Muhammad died there was variation. And so all of the Qurans that were known and all the pieces of Quran were written, brought into Uthman, the third caliph. And he had a secretary, Zaid, prepare what is known as the Quran today. Now the reason they made the Quran we have today is they were worried about variation. Do you know what Uthman did with all the original documents? He had them burned. Now why would you burn all the original Qurans? Simple. They were filled with variation. Well, those are the ends of the questions that I'm going to ask, and I think I'll do this again. So on Facebook, stay alert, and I'll give you another chance to have your questions answered. Now, I've made these brief. Some of these answers could be made into a whole semester course. 
but I wanted to give you a taste of answers. Thank you for your interest.